Today on Blue 58, we spoke in the last episode about running backs, the central feature of the Matt LaFleur offense. But what about fullbacks, tight ends, and wide receivers? Well, what about them? No, I'm serious. That's the real question. Let's talk about that. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Yes, we will be talking about fullbacks, tight ends, and wide receivers today. Maybe fullback is the wrong word to use. Maybe we need to be talking about H-backs instead. We'll get to that in a second. First, though, a couple announcements. Uh, Keep your eyes out either today when this podcast comes out or Monday, depending on how some things in the rest of my life go, uh, for a brief behind-the-scenes look uh, into the podcast recording area of the Power Sweep, or at least my part of the Power Sweep. Um, The podcast studio is in the process of being upgraded, and I want to give you a look at how things look right now before we are done putting things together. So if you are a member of our Patreon, uh, keep an eye out for that. And then we will give you a full studio tour uh, when all of the upgrades are complete. But I'm very excited about this. Should be done here in the next couple weeks or so. A lot of fun stuff to look forward to. Not so fun is the news out of Lambeau today. The Packers will not be having fans at their first two games at Lambeau Field this season. The earliest fans will be allowed inside Lambeau Field for a game is November 1st against the Minnesota Vikings, and there are a few assumptions built into that. This is, of course, assuming that fans are allowed at any game league-wide. This is assuming that ten to 12,000 is still the amount that they're working with. This is assuming that the virus is contained by then, because that's the whole deal here. And that's something that the Packers even say, quoting from their press release out today, whether fans can attend this game and others later in the season will depend on the status of the virus. They're just putting it right out there. This is all virus dependent. So that's a real bummer. Um, I wish I could say this was unexpected, but it kind of feels like this this was almost inevitable. This was the way that things were going to be going here um, for... I don't know, the last the last few months. Um, as soon as you start talking about reducing the number of fans at games, the question becomes, well, why do you think any amount of fans at the game is safe? And apparently the Packers are saying, yeah, we kind of agree with that. Uh, we're not really sure we can have anybody safely at the game, so we're just not going to have anybody there right now. It is a real bummer, and I do not have any interest at all in reading the comments about this on Facebook. I am guilty of that recently, <laughs> dipping into the comments on, on Packers news-related articles because kind of just like to see the stuff unfold a little bit, and it's never worth it, uh, but I do it anyway. Uh, currently at Packers.com, two comments on this article. Uh, Gus says, good to see sanity prevail, and Bob sh- says, disappointed to hear. So there you have it, 50% oppose, 50% in favor. Let's talk about the actual Packers, though. In the last episode, we talked about the Packers running backs and how they are used and and what they're good for. The rest of the offense are the Packers fullbacks, tight ends, and wide receivers. And I kind of feel like we're going to rip through these position groups pretty quickly. But generally speaking, I feel like we've taken a more conceptual approach to these positions anyway. Just how the offseason has unfolded, I feel like we're more familiar 
as a little community here, this podcast, the people who listen to it and me as as the producer of it, we're more familiar with the ins and outs of these positions than we ever have in the past, have been in the past. So I don't think we need to do a person-by-person preview. What do we expect from these people this year? Because we're still kind of in the breaking-in period of the Matt LaFleur offense. And the Matt LaFleur offense is interesting in how it's functionally different from the Mike McCarthy offense. What I mean by that is this. How does the the Matt LaFleur offense use its plays? Hinted that at this in the last episode. Now we're just going to come right out and talk about it. Usage rate is a stat that we've tracked here for a couple of years at the power sweep. And I almost think that the best analogy for this is money. An offense's plays are like currency. And you can spend that money in different ways. And if you spend it well, you get a little bit more. And if you keep spending it well, you move all the way down the field and eventually get into the end zone. And so you want to invest those plays in a particular way. And how you invest those plays is going to vary from coach to coach and offense to offense. Mike McCarthy's offense was very wide receiver heavy. He didn't use his running backs all that much. In fact, in 2018, his last year with the Packers, and and you know this is not going to be completely representative because he was not the coach for the entire season, but in 2018, the Packers used just 35% of their offensive plays on running backs. So that's carries and targets. 385 carries and targets went to running backs in 2018. 35.85%. Running backs, meanwhile, or tight ends, excuse me, we, we just talked about running backs. Tight ends and wide receivers, meanwhile, got just over 500 targets. Fewer carries. There were a few in there. Um, but just over 500, or about 47%. In 2019, that's almost exactly flipped. Running backs got 476 plays, carries and targets. That's just over 44%. Tight ends and wide receivers, meanwhile, got 412. Combined, that's 38%. Almost exactly flipped from where things were in 2018. This offense is about the running back. It runs through the backs. And every other position on offense is supporting that. That's not to say your passing game can't still be efficient, but it's going to be based on and around what the running backs do in the passing game and the running game. And I think that can be a really good thing. But you still do need to use these other positions. So how do you use them? I think the first thing that we have to talk about here is the H-back. This has been a term that's been used and abused pretty much since, well, the draft, I guess, and Josiah DeGaro was the Packers' third-round pick. I've kind of dismissively called him a fullback in the past, and that's that's a little bit of hyperbole on my part. I feel a little bit bad about that because I don't like to do hyperbole. That's not really my thing. 
But he is not really a tight end. He's not really a fullback either, though, so what is he? Well, he's an H-back. And the prime example of the H-back is Kyle Juszczyk in San Francisco. And boy, am I tired of talking about Kyle Juszczyk. In part because it gets boring talking about guys who are on other teams and you're not intimately familiar with because you don't watch them in the same way each and every week. But a big other reason I'm sick of talking about Kyle Juszczyk is I'm tired of writing his stupid Polish last name out again and again and again. And I'm sorry if people out there from Polish descent, but you guys just have too many consonants in your names. My goodness. Kyle Smith. What's wrong with that? No, Kyle Juszczyk it is. Uh, It is a workout typing his name every time we've got to type it. But... Uh, Juszczyk is interesting in that he's listed as a fullback, but his back-related responsibilities are pretty light. He is a he is a blocker. He's a lead blocker at times, but the main way he impacts the 49ers offense is just by lining up all over the place. And you can see just very simply how he affects the game in his receiving and rushing numbers. Since he went to San Francisco, how many times do you think Kyle Juszczyk has run the ball? Just a guess. Off the top of your head, I'll give you a second here. The number is 18. He's only carried the ball on the ground 18 times. That's not a lot. But he has been the subject, the target, of quite a few passing plays. Since he's arrived in San Francisco, over the 42 games he's played there, he's been targeted with 107 passes. That would be quite a lot for a fullback. But A fullback isn't really what he is. He's just a bigger-bodied guy who can line up all over the formation. He's athletic. He can do a lot of different things. And that's how the 49ers use him. And that's the role that the Packers probably have in mind for Josiah DeGara. He's listed as a tight end because he's probably a little bit taller. Well, he is a little bit taller um, than Juszczyk. But he, too, should be able to do things all over the formation. Where on the formation? Well, I think the prototypical H-back position is almost dating back to the Lombardi era, what you would call the wing. The wing lined up right outside the tight end on the strong side of the formation, right off the tight end's outside hip. Not on the line of scrimmage, but in the backfield. Usually a little bit of a bigger player, though not quite as big as an end sometimes called a flanker in the Lombardi era terminology. Must be a good athlete even at the time. Must be able to block safeties and linebackers. And good be a good, uh, must be a good pass receiver. That's how Lombardi himself described this position. Interestingly, he described fullbacks as a hard-nosed football player. Needs the same blocking ability as a guard. Should have good running ability. And his pass receiving ability can be an asset. Split those two, and I think you've got the perfect description of an H-back. But that's going to be what Josiah DeGara does. And that's what John Lovett is probably going to do, too. A point I wanted to build off a little bit from the last episode, too, is thinking about how these players are used. And how we define those positions that way. I think historically we've defined positions more related to how people lined up, where they stand when a play begins. And to a certain extent, that still should be how it's done. 
especially on the offensive line. Center, guard, tackle, it all makes sense. You know what those responsibilities are. Um, and it's all it's, a lot of it, it depends on where they stand at the start of the play. That's not necessarily true for all the skill positions. And as I think we demonstrated with running backs, it's important to think about what players do more than where they are on the field. What Tyler Irvin does is going to be different from what Aaron Jones does, which is different from what Jamal Williams does, but all of them are considered running backs. What Josiah Degara does is going to be different from what Mercedes Lewis does, but it's going to be similar to what John Lovett does. But Lovett's a fullback, and Degara is considered a tight end. And fullback and tight end is probably not the best descriptor for either of them. We should focus more instead on what these guys are doing than their position types. And that was kind of the thrust of of the article we talked about last time around, too. The entire point of the Lafleur offense here, and really I think offense is league-wide, this is not some, some genius point here, this is just how football operates, is you're trying to create matchups. It's less about this is how I think football should be played and more how can we exploit defenses by putting the defense in a bad spot. It's more that way now than it ever has been before. And that, I think, is where the Lafleur offense really differs from what Mike McCarthy did in that McCarthy very much was scheme-oriented. We need to have this scheme, and the players need to do the scheme, and if we do the scheme right, we're going to score points. Now it's about what can these individual guys do and how do we put them in the position to do that. So you've got your H-backs, you've got your tight ends, and we've talked about how tight ends and deploying them differently in multiple tight end packages can give you some interesting matchups. But what about wide receiver? What about wide receiver, right? Wide receiver has been a bit of a point of contention among Packers fans, I think, this offseason. A lot of people wanted the Packers to do more to improve that position. I'm one of those people. I still think that the Packers should have done more this offseason to upgrade the position than they did. If you look at the receiver group that Brian Gutekunst had when he took over and what he has now, I don't know how you can really argue that he's done everything he could to improve that position. I find that really hard to swallow. He hasn't replaced Randall Cobb in the slot. And I know he prefers a different body type, but he hasn't replaced his production at all. He hasn't replaced even latter-day Jordy Nelson. He hasn't significantly upgraded the tight end spot, at least not so far. And Jay Sternberg is still very much a work in progress. He hasn't added any sort of dependable receiver at wide rec- at the wide receiver group. It's just, it's just a fact. And I think it's legitimate to say, while the Packers are higher on their receivers than everybody else, that's, that's fine. But I think it's equally true to look at what the Packers have done and say they should, should do more. They should have done more. And they should be doing more. You can be fine with the group that you have and still try to add more talent, and the Packers just quite simply have not tried to do that very aggressively. You don't get any points for trying to sign Allen Robinson, because you didn't. It's a zero-sum game. You either did and you win, or you didn't and you lose. 
and the Packers have lost out on receiving talent so far. But the Packers do have some guys that I think can create some mismatches. The issue that I have with this receiving group as a whole, and this is not something new, but the issue I have here is that they all kind of create the same sort of mismatch. It's all a size-related mismatch. Everybody outside of Devontae Adams on this roster seems to be attacking the defense in basically the same way, by being bigger than the guy that they're across from. Anybody with a realistic shot at making this roster is the sort of big, strapping guy that could sometimes be confused for a tight end. And when you look at the pluses of guys outside of Devontae Adams, they're praised for things like that. Jake Kumaro's biggest selling point is his blocking ability. That's something that comes up again and again and again when Matt LaFleur talks about him. Loves how he can block because he's a big physical dude. Equinemia St. Brown has a lot of the same qualities. Alan Lazard was considered by many a tight end when he was coming out of Iowa State. The Packers, in fact, were one of the teams that were talking to him about playing tight end. He's creating size-related mismatches, too. And if you're trying to create mismatches, that is a route you can go. But it seems to be that 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 is the only route the Packers are interested in exploring. Now, you can look at usage rate like we started out doing and say, well, the receivers only got 29.5% of the plays last year. What does it really matter if they're not investing in that position at all? And I think that there is some merit to that. Why invest in a position that you don't think is that important anyway because you're not using it all that much? I get that. But shouldn't you try to maximize those 300 or so plays then? Shouldn't you do everything that you can to make sure that you're getting the absolute most out of those plays when you are going to your tight ends and your wide receivers? If you're just having Devontae Adams and a bunch of dudes other than that, and you're not injecting premium talent there, are you really maximizing those opportunities? Or are you counting on your scheme so much to get those guys open that if they don't run the plays exactly right, and if your quarterback doesn't execute them exactly right, they're just not going to work? It seems, at the very least, like the Packers are not giving themselves a lot of slack here by not upgrading their wide receiver group. And that's a little bit disappointing to see. There are opportunities here. Alan Lazard has all the potential in the world. Marquez Valdez-Scantling does too. Equinemia St. Brown does too. And if you remember with the piece that we published uh, for one of our listeners at Acme Packing Company not long ago, there is evidence to show that when guys have a pretty strong first year, you can count on them pretty reliably to be pretty good in their third year. Well, both MVS and EQ had pretty solid rookie years. Not outstanding, not like something you'd write home about, but pretty solid. And I think there is reason to be hopeful about them in 2020. But Hope is a bad thing to build a roster around. I'd rather spend some resources to inject some kind of premium talent in there. The draft broke really poorly for the Packers in that respect. A couple picks go differently 
Maybe you're getting Devin Duvernay in the third round instead of Josiah Degara. Maybe you're getting Brandon Ayuk in the first round instead of Jordan Love. That's an entirely different can of worms. But I don't think it should be super controversial to just point out that the Packers have not invested in their wide receiver position at all. That's not, that shouldn't be a controversial statement because it's just true. They don't get used a ton in Matt LaFleur's offense. But what is there better be as good as the Packers think it is, or else this could be another long season. Not that we're going to get a chance to see it in person, at least early on. So I've got for you on this episode. I do appreciate you listening in. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to download this. I hope you are safe and healthy wherever you are, and I hope you have a good weekend. We've got a good weekend plan. Get to mow the lawn, get to work in the podcast studio a little bit. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun time with the family. If you enjoyed this conversation, if you like what you heard here, and you think somebody else would benefit from it as well, go ahead and share this. It'd mean a lot to me if you do, because that'll help us continue to grow this conversation around the team that we enjoy and help everybody continue to become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.